are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. We just uh, had our marriage conference here. And um, we do May is Marriage Month every single year. And uh, this year, we had Bill and Pam Farrell uh, from uh, San Diego, California. And they came and brought it and just gave us such an amazing conference and just such um, insight to, uh, from everything from communication to, to sex to, to just how to love your spouse. And it was just for those of you who were here you know it was just such an amazing conference, and we just thank you so much for being able to come and share. And uh, we like to do something like uh, when I was in Calgary at a church, whenever we'd bring in a guest speaker, everybody would say to them, let's give them a great big Calgary welcome. And everybody would go, yee-haw, and they would come up. And, but I'm, that's, that's kind of weird for Cold Lake, right? just doesn't really fit the culture. So, so we're, at the beginning, we were like, you know what, how can we do a big cold lake welcome for our people. And we thought, let's give them a great cold lake welcome. The first thing that came to our mind is we go, brr. But we thought, you know, that's not really cool. So, so after much deliberation and prayer and fasting, we decided that we are going to establish a culture of honor and blessing. So we want to welcome you this morning with a great big cold lake community church welcome. same questions. We went to Singapore and we, uh, we were called by the government of Singapore. They said, ah, Penville, want you to come to Singapore to speak to our college university students, our young adults, to help them fall in love, get married young, have many babies, make strong Singapore. We're like, we're there, you know, and um, we were teaching on single men are like waffles, single women like spaghetti. The first question I got was, ah, how you avoid looser men. So you know what? It's, it's everywhere, you know? So, and I'm one of those girls. I used to have a loser magnet on me, you know? Um, and now I've learned how to avoid losers, all around losers, varsity losers, yeah. And um, as I gave my heart fully to Jesus, God helped me uh, learn who a healthy man is by looking at Jesus, and then I could recognize a good man when God brought him across my path. So, so, so in my good man manners, mm -hmm. um, your microphone needs to be put oh, up on your ear. Thank you, babe. Because we want to hear every word you have to say because you're so fascinating. We don't want to miss a single word. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, uh, first of all, uh, just good morning, Cold Lake. Yeah, it is great to be here. We have had a wonderful weekend. And, um, and, and you need to know that the Cold Lake is a fascination for us. And we're from San Diego, where we don't do a lot of ice and cold. And so we went walking on the, uh, on the, the shore last night, and um, it literally just stood and stared at the ice that's floating in the water. And so um, I'm sure you all take it for granted, you know, after year, after year, after year. But It was a short walk. Yeah, but it was fascinating. And it's great to be here. Um, Lance, I want to thank you for trusting us with the stage. Um, having been a pastor, I know you don't just turn your pulpit over to anybody. Mm -hmm. And so we don't take it for granted. And thank you for the opportunity. And um, before we jump into um, Hayward, I have a question for you. Um, when you married this lady sitting next to you, was it legal? <laughs> like, she does not look old enough to have been married 51 years. So, <laughs> wow. Huh? So, like congratulations. Thanks for setting the pace. We appreciate it. So, we got a new goal. Yeah, thank you very much. And, um, and we're, we're excited to be with you because we just, we just have a real passion for sharing with people how relationships work because we know that you are going to judge the quality of your life based upon the quality of the relationships that you have. 
Um, that's why all of our best memories in life come from our relationships. Um, like, like Pam and I have uh, had the privilege of joining the grandparent world, and, um, and they are now the most quotable people in our life. And um, not, not too long ago, last year, um, our, our little f- uh, four-year-old granddaughter, her name is Callan, and Callan means? Mighty in battle. Yep, so we're expecting uh, big things for her. And the name kind of seems to fit her because she's always off on an adventure. Like, we always have to keep our eye open because we never know when she's just going to take off and go find something new to do. And so last year, it was basketball season, and Brian, the other grandfather, he, he took the kids to a high school basketball game. And when they got to the gymnasium, Callan just shot right up to the top of the stairs. And up at the top of the stairs, there's a railing and a drop-off all the way to the floor, which she could easily fit through the rail. So everybody's now concerned for Callan. It's perilous. I mean, yeah. Dangerous. And, and so Brian, being a good grandfather, he went to the bottom of the stairs and looked up and said, Callan, come here. I have a secret to tell you. And she's having none of it. Not interested at all. So he tried again. Callan, come here. I have a secret to tell you. And again, she's not interested. So being a good grandfather, Brian started walking up the stairs to go get her. And when he got to within earshot, she turned to him and said, Grandpa, tell somebody else. <laughs> Sometimes a, we're all like that, right? God right. Like, wants to tell us a secret, and we're like, yeah, tell somebody else. But you're not like that. You're here today. That's right. You're wise. You want to know what God has to say about relationships. And, you know, the, one of Bill's friends has a little boy, and he came to him one day. Right, so he's raising this six-year-old boy, and they were in the kitchen together, and the six-year-old boy had a jar in his hand. He was trying to get the lid off of the jar, and he couldn't get the lid off. So he turned to his dad, and he said, Dad, can you help me? And so dad took the jar, took the lid right off, and the little boy went, wow, Dad, how come I couldn't do that? And he said, well, son, this jar has a child-proof lid on it. And the little boy thought for a moment and said, Dad. How did it know it was me? <laughs> God knows it's you. God knows what's going on in your life. He knows all about you and the relationships that matter to you. And um, when we go, and it doesn't matter what country we're in, what city we're in, people really care about relationships, right? Eh? <laughs> and the reason why relationships are on your heart and relationships matter to you is because relationships are on the heart of God. And we've been made in the image of God. And so the, the same passion that God has for relationships, he gave to you. And it's very interesting to me that there's only one place in the Bible I know of where eternal life is defined. It's John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus is talking to his heavenly father and he says these words right here. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. So the one place in the Bible where eternal life is defined, it's defined as a relationship. So it's, it's not a length of time. It's not a destination. It is a relationship that you can have with Jesus and with his Father, the, the Creator God. And, and when you find that relationship, it leads to eternal life and forgiveness and, and all the things that we're looking for in life. And so as a result, relationships really matter to you and I because God put that on our heart. And to help us navigate through our relationships, God put a book right in the middle of the Bible. And if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to open up to Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We'll be projecting <laughs> verses. But if you have your Bible, right smack in the middle of the Bible, there is this book called the Song of Songs that is all about relationships. Now, the backdrop of the story is a married couple but the relationships, I mean, the principles that are taught there apply to all of the relationships in our life, whether they're family relationships or friendships or working relationships. And in Song of Songs, chapter 2, we have a snapshot of their relationship. And in this snapshot, there are three keys to having successful relationships that we want to talk about this morning. And if you will take any of these three keys and you will apply them to a relationship in your life, that relationship is going to get better. Okay? And so the first key to successful relationships is to recognize the value of those that you love. And folks, everybody that you care about in life is a mixture of really, like really great gifts. Like everybody you know is talented. Everybody you know is gifted. 
And, and you can choose to focus on those really positive traits in their life, but everybody you know is also kind of mixed in the mix are these really irritating traits. So everybody you know is amazing and irritating. And it's up to you what side you choose to focus on. And the way we see it play out here in Song of Songs chapter 2 is she is talking to Solomon. And she says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Now that sounds like she's pretty confident, right? She says, look look at that, I look like a flower. Isn't that amazing? Look at me. But what you need to understand is what she's really doing is she's fishing for compliments. Okay, the, the, the rose of Sharon, it was the single most common wildflower that would grow on the, on the hills around her family farm. So in the spring after it rained, if you walked out and looked at the hills, you would see this little flesh-colored flower growing everywhere around you. The lily of the valley, it was the second most common wildflower that grew around her family farm. And again, it was a little white flower, and you would see it amongst all the the flesh-colored flowers growing everywhere. So what she's really saying to her husband at this point is, I am so plain. I am so ordinary. I am so like everybody else. You probably would never pick me out in a crowd. I'm just a dandelion. I'm just moss. Right. And guys, don't you love it when women do this? You know, they walk in a room, notice anything different? <laughs> right? At that moment, you are just praying for wisdom, right? Because if you get it right, you are like the hero for the day. And if you get it wrong, you are one of those insensitive guys walking around the planet. Well, that's exactly what she's doing is she's wondering, do you notice me? And folks, he could not have responded better. Like, I just pray for moments in my life to be this smooth. He says in verse 2, like a lily among thorns, so is my darling among the young maidens. So in essence, he says, whoa, 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 stop. You do not understand. Compared to you, every woman on the planet is a thorn, and you are the single flower. Folks, that's smooth. And, you know, because he was so complimentary, she was complimentary right back. And, you know, a lot of times we women, we test our men. We say things to them like, do I look fat in this? And there's no real safe way for a male to answer that question without getting in trouble. The closest thing that Bill's come up with is, I don't know, I'm so bedazzled by your beauty, I can't think straight. Mm Feel free to borrow that one. That was a good one. But because Solomon (laughs) was so encouraging, she boomeranged that encouragement right back. And she says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. So we went walking in your forest, you know, right around Cold Lake. And there there aren't apple trees there, right? Lots of evergreen trees, not very many apple trees. And so what she's saying there is, You're one in a million. You're an anomaly. You stand out from the crowd. So she's being super encouraging here. And um, there's a study that's out that it says that it takes five positive statements for every one negative statement to keep a relationship healthy and positive. And that might feel a little bit over the top, but that's what it takes. It takes that over-the-top encouragement and affirmation um, towards the people that God has placed in your life to keep things healthy. Mm -hmm. And so we want you to take a few minutes right now and make this personal. Okay, there are a few people here on earth that you carry on your heart. You, you can't love everybody the same, but God has put some people in, in your life that you just, you care about them. They matter to you. When they're doing well, you're doing well. When they're doing poorly, you're struggling. You just carry them on their heart and you want them to do well. And I want you to picture who are those people in your life. Now, these are the three people in life that matter most to Pam and I. Um, for some reason, God decided to give us uh, sons and um, no daughters. We now have granddaughters, so we're starting to even out the balance in our family. But he gave us all sons. And, um, and all three of these guys you see on the screen right here, I would tell you, they are, they're, all three of them are incredibly talented and they are remarkably irritating all at the same time. And it's our, our choice which side we want to focus on. So the guy in the middle, that's our oldest son, Brock. He is, uh, he's, he's just a born leader. We knew from early on that he was going to be a leader because uh, he started bossing people around about the time he could start walking. And we just knew. And um, so, so we knew he was going to be a great leader, but he was not born with any natural tact whatsoever. 
So if you disagree with him, you're stupid. So we knew we were going to have to work that out of his life. And, um, and fortunately today, I, I think it's funny, we prayed that God would you know, teach him sensitivity and tact, and uh, God gave him two daughters. <laughs> so just softening them up. Over here on uh, my left, your right, um, that's our son Zachary. He's our middle son. He, um, he's one of the most gifted people I know at reading people. Like he could walk in a room right here and he could sense how you're feeling and how your week has been. And, and he, he like has instincts for knowing if you need an arm around your shoulder or if you need a kind of a swift kick in the behind to get you going. He just, he, he just has a, a real gift for doing that. Um, but he's also the most unpredictable young man I've ever met. Um, like, I never know what's coming next. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. When he entered high school, we told our boys, hey, guys, as teenagers, it's not good for you to be sitting around thinking too much, and so you need to be busy. So in addition to school, you need to do two things uh, that will keep you going. So he, he went to high school, started playing American football, and we, he was okay at American football his freshman year. Um, but then he came home after not too long and said, Dad, I know what the second thing is I want to do. I said, really? What do you want to do? He goes, I want to be a cheerleader. And I went, oh. <laughs> and I don't know if you know much about American cheerleading, but it's turned into this really highly competitive thing. And he actually never cheered at a, a game in high school. He just uh, competed on a club and did really well and, and um, ended up uh, actually cheering in college. And while he was there, Circus Olay came and asked if anybody on the team wanted to perform at the Super Bowl with Circus Olay. So about the time I got used to him being a cheerleader, he joined the circus. Okay, so that's my son, Zachary. And over there on uh, my right, your left, that's our youngest son, Caleb. And um, he is the softest heart of the three. Like, he has a really soft heart towards Jesus, really soft heart towards people. We would give of himself to help you in any way you needed help. Um, but he's probably the, one of the most stubborn young men I've ever met. Like, he, he has a gift for putting his heels in. And once he sinks his heels, he does not move. And it started as a little kid. He would say, just one more thing, 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 just one more thing. And we would say, no more, one more thing. He goes, okay, Dad, just one more thing. And just like, so again, it's, it's our choice which side that we focus on, the really positive stuff or the irritating side. And you have the same decision. So we want to share with you some of what we did to help these young men find their value in life. And as we do, we want you to be thinking about how can you help the people you care about recognize their value. And so um, we came across this verse um, when Bill and I were newlyweds. Psalm 145, verse 3 and 4 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. And we began praying, God, how are we going to help these three young men like learn what you are about and how do we take your mighty acts and commend them into their lives. And so Bill was a youth pastor when, when we were young married and have a new family. And so I'm holding this newborn baby Brock and I'm rocking him and I'm thinking about um, the kids in our youth group. I'm like, Lord, it seems like some kids at 18 seem to soar and succeed and some t seem to stumble and fall. Like what's the difference? And I began to make a long list of character qualities and traits and skills that we needed to get into this young life by the time that he was 18. Um, the list is now in our 10 Best Decisions a Parent Can Make book, but that day I was very overwhelmed. I'm like, look at all this stuff, hon, that we are supposed to get into a young life. And Bill said, well... Well, it looks kind of like it falls into three categories. First of all, we want our kids to be learners. In a highly informational age and the importance of the Bible in our life, if you're not learning every week, you're falling behind. And so we want our kids to be learners. Second, we want our kids to be leaders in their own style and among their peers. We didn't want them just following the crowd. We wanted them to deliberately choose how they live and invite their peers to follow along with them. And then we wanted our kids to love God for themselves. We didn't, want God to we, we didn't want our kids to love God just because we love God. We wanted them to have a personal encounter with Jesus that mattered to them. And we knew we couldn't make that happen, but we believed we could set up an environment where that was likely to happen. And so we put these things down onto a family moniker or crest. And so the three L's, learn, leader, love God. The two hearts stand for Pharaohs keep their promises, especially in the area of relationship. And then the cross with the star. The cross with the star coming off it. That represents our conviction that every person on earth has a God-given dream. Like, we don't believe God creates filler. He, he didn't look at Cold Lake and say, oh, I have an empty space. I'm going to make you. 
No, he created you with a reason, and he created you for a purpose. And to help you find that purpose, he put some kind of a dream in your heart to help guide you and motivate you. And we believed if we could help our kids find that dream, they would be naturally motivated, and they would would sacrifice appropriately for their goals in life. And I'm so... I thought, you know, okay, how can we make this fun? You know, like, I don't want our kids to think they're born into, like, feral boot camp. And um, that's fine when they get older if they choose that. But between 0 and 18, kids respond to fun. And so how can we, you know, make learning about God fun? And so we decided that we were going to have a learner leader day once a year. And on that day, we would negotiate privileges and responsibilities. And there's actually a learner leader chart in our parenting book. You can just Xerox and put up on your Um, refrigerator too and um, our goal was to roll the ball into their court piece by piece by piece so that by the time they're 18 they were responsible godly adults and so um, we um, also um, chose one leadership quality off that list every year to focus on and um, usually we started with integrity because if I can trust you if you're honest I can give you more privileges and so it's a good base and um then we would choose a verse that went along with that leadership quality, and we would um, post that everywhere um, in their room, on their wall, on their lunchbox. We would pray that verse over them for that year, and um, then uh, we would give them a gift, a learner leader gift, and that gift was three things. It was personal. I, not everybody gets the same cookie cutter thing. Personal, I thought of you, child, when I picked this out. It was practical, something we would buy anyway, you know, lunchbox, a backpack, and so it didn't uh, hurt the family budget so much. And then it was prophetic. It spoke to the promise or potential of that child. And um, we will take, uh, and we always had a fun day that we negotiated that privilege uh, and responsibilities and privileges chart on. We call it Force Feral Family Fun. And so we would have the fun, negotiate the contract, put it up on the refrigerator, and work the system. And um, so year after year, putting character qualities into those young lives. And um, we'll take Brock. He's the oldest. And so some of the gifts that he got year after year, we figured out pretty early on he was pretty good at sports. And so he might be given a gym bag with a verse on it, like run in such a way that you might win or excel still more. He might be given a poster of a Christian athlete that was signed to him or maybe Sports Spectrum magazine, which is kind of like Sports Illustrated, but without the swimsuit edition. Mm -hmm. And um, so those are some of the gifts he got year after year. And uh, you always wonder, like, are they getting it? Are they really uh, uh, taking on this character and really following Jesus for themselves? And um, so when he was in high school, he he went from a private Christian school, graduating class of six, to a public high school, and he asked, okay, what is my passion? What's my calling? What's my, the strength of my life? Uh, sports. So he goes out for the sports teams. He's named um, captain of the freshman football team, captain of the JV volleyball team, and captain of the JV basketball team. And um, he comes to us, and he's like, mom and dad, you know, um, my friends, they need Jesus, but, um, you know, maybe we need something on campus, and so what if we had some pizza parties? And I'll invite each one of my teams over, we'll play some games, and I'll share a video of a Christian athlete, then I'll share my personal story of faith, and I'll give my friends an opportunity to pray and come to know Jesus in a personal way. And as a result of those three pizza parties, by the end of Brock's freshman year, um, 34 of his friends had come to know Jesus in a personal way. And he's like, Mom and Dad, your van only holds seven? Yeah, I have a hard time getting everybody to youth group every week. How about we have something on campus? So he and some friends formed Fellowship of Christian Athletes on that campus, and it grew to be a couple hundred strong by the time Brock was a senior. Well, when he was uh, 16, he was named varsity starting quarterback. And so he called his friends up, and he's like, hey, um, dude, we're going to start this new tradition. We're going to go to the 50-yard line and pray and kneel and pray and thank God for the game, like before Tim Tebow did it, all right? So um, so they decide, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And all of his friends are like, yeah, we're there for you, man. Well, the first game came. Which they lost 38 to nothing. It was our son's worst football game of his entire career. He threw four interceptions that night, and it was just a really bad night for a group of high school athletes. 
And so after the game, all the guys just like kind of depressed and disappointed and dejected and just kind of walked off the field. Uh, except for Brock, who went right to the 50-yard line and got down on one knee and began to pray and thank God for the game. And Bill is filming the, the game still. And I, you can hear me on the video camera all panicked. Bill, Brock's all alone. Should I, like, run down there and pray with him? Like a high school quarterback wants his mommy to come running down on the field. <laughs> no. And when I said he's all alone, the Holy Spirit reminded me. Remember that day, Pam? that you were rocking Brock when he was a tiny baby and you made out that learner leader list, you also wrote out a prayer. By the time you're 18 prayer, you have it all framed up. You're going to give it to that boy uh, when he is 18. And remember that line in there? Lord, let us build sons like a Daniel or a Joseph, willing to stand alone for your faith if necessary. I am answering that prayer. You leave the boy alone. And just then, three players from the opposing team came and knelt next to Brock. Yeah, God is good, right? And we walked down, I wrapped my arms around Brock, and I said, Brock, you know, we have always raised you boys. Psalms 8411, no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. And our family motto is those who honor God, God honors, 1 Samuel 2.30. So I don't know how, Daddy and I don't want to win, but somehow God's going to honor you for this day. Well, fast forward, he was named Athlete of the Year on our campus, and um, he was also um, named San Diego Citizen of, of the Year, which comes with a commendation from our governor and a scholarship from the NFL Players Association, and he was named to the Football Hall of Fame Scholar Leader Athlete Program. He was also given an award uh, that the faculty votes on. It's called Night of the Year. It's a leadership award, and he ended up getting a full-ride scholarship to Liberty University to be their quarterback. And um, after he was at Liberty, just a few days, um, I did a book signing in Phoenix, Arizona, and I told that 50-yard line story. And the bookstore owner, she's like, ah, where did you say Brock got his scholarship? I'm like, well, he's a quarterback at Liberty. She says, oh, my Hannah, she's at Liberty. And so we exchanged pictures and phone numbers of the kids. These arranging um, relationships does work. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I get this phone call from Brock. Hey, Mom, remember um, Hannah? I'm like, yeah. Did you ever introduce yourself? Um, he's like, yeah, we've been dating. I'm like, how long? Six weeks. Why didn't you tell me, son? He said, because I knew you would say, so you should listen to your mother. Right. Well, the kids dated for about 18 months. At the end of 18 months, they took a week apart to pray and fast to see if they were God's will for each mm. other. At the end of that time, Hannah flew back to Liberty. But unbeknownst to Hannah, Brock had a ring designed in Los Angeles. It was flown to the football office. He stopped in Phoenix to ask for her hand in marriage from her folks. And then he went back to Liberty. He was sitting there in a football meeting when he got a phone call. The eagle has landed. Mm -hmm. So he picks up the ring. He picks up Hannah. And um, he takes her to the place they first met on campus and handed her a nail. Then he took her to the park bench that they always said goodnight at every night and handed her another nail. Then he took her to the chapel that they had prayed in about their future and handed her a piece of a board. Then he took her off campus where she was sharing a home with her friends and handed her another piece of a board. And then he took those nails and those boards and hammered them together into the form of a cross and hammered the cross into the ground and said, Hannah, I want our relationship to start and stay at the foot of the cross. Hannah, I love you. Hannah, will you marry me? Hannah, will you kiss me for the first time? To which Hannah replied, yes, yes. And there's just something precious that happens in the heart of a mom and a dad. Bill got to perform that wedding ceremony. And to hear your daughter-in-law, the girl you have prayed for since before she was even born, hold your son's hand and say, Brock, you're such a man of integrity. You can be my night of the year every night of the year, which eventually turned into... This picture right here announced that we were about to become grandparents, which has now led to a whole new set of pharaohs running baby around the world. Baby Baby <clears throat> Callan, Baby Rocco William, passing that legacy of love from generation to generation. So that's some of what we did to help our kids see the value in their life. And you have a group of people in your life that matter to you as much as those boys matter to us. So what can you do this week to start helping them recognize their value? You know, we, we live in a world that's hard on people. There's a lot of confusing messages in the world. There's a lot of criticism running around the world. And, and, and often we are part of that chorus. And you may be the one voice in their life that helps them see that God cares about them, that they matter to God, and that they, have, they are here for a reason. They have a purpose. So what can you do this week to, to, to help them start to see that they matter to God and they matter in life? Second key to successful relationships 
is to resurrect anticipation. Folks, one of the greatest gifts you have in life and in relationships is anticipation. Like, do you realize, folks, this could be the best week of your life? You realize that? Like, this could be the week that God answers that prayer you've been praying for for years. <coughs> this could be the week that you meet somebody that opens up a whole new opportunity uh, in life or in your career. This could be the week that you discover the wisdom that, that creates the greatest opportunity of your life. This could be the week that Jesus comes back. And folks, this could be that week. And if you live with a sense of anticipation, it gets your eyes open to see what God is doing and prepares your heart to receive from him. And see, some of you get that because some of you came in the door this morning at church with a sense of anticipation. You walked in and went, you know, I bet something good's going to happen today. I bet in worship something's going to happen or I'm going to learn something or I'm going to interact with somebody. Something's going to happen that sets me up for a great week. And you're going to leave this morning and say, wow, church was pretty good. Now, some of you came in the back door with a sense of expectation. Like, this better go good. <laughs> and those people better be nice to me. And whoever these guest speakers are, you're like, they better bring something good. And the problem with expectation, folks, is it tends to breed disappointment. Because life seldom turns out the way any of us expect it to. But when you have a sense of anticipation in your heart, like when you have the sense of, you know what, I get to spend time this afternoon with my family. When you have that sense of anticipation, my, my friends are getting together and we're, we're just going to see what happens. When you have that sense of anticipation, again, it gets your eyes open and your heart open to see what God is doing. And the way this plays out with our couple in Song of Songs, chapter 2, um, is first of all, you need to understand Solomon, he, he, this is a real couple, he's got a real job. And so he is off on a business trip. He's taking care of the king's business, and he is on an extended business trip. And he's gone long enough that his wife, Shulamite, decides to go visit her family farm. Well, back in the day, they don't have any instant communication. Like a lot of you would just die back then. There are no cell phones. There's no Twitter, no Facebook, no Instagram, no Snapchat, no, no instant ways at all to communicate with the people you care about. And so what we see her doing in verse 8, listen, my love is approaching. Look, here he comes. Now, what she's been doing is every morning she walks out in front of her family farm, and she looks out the hills, and she says, is it today? No. So then she goes about her daily responsibility. Next morning she gets up, and she goes, I wonder if today my husband's coming home. She walks out and says, is it today? No. So then she goes about her daily responsibilities. Well, this day, she walks out in front of the family farm. She looks at the hills, and it's today. And she says, look, here he comes. And I want you to notice right here what she sees. It's not this way. Oh, you already moved it there? Did I, did I go too far? No, it's there. Okay, so, so verse 9 says that, that she sees him like he's bounding, okay? So we read these words right here. Um, Behold, he's climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. You might want to move. Okay, so I want to show you, I want to show you what Shulamite saw. Okay, when she looked at the hills, she saw Solomon doing this. <laughs> hey, sir, what's your first name? James. You ever run like that in public? The answer is no. That's, That's a good answer, right James. Because I can guarantee you Solomon's not bounding like a gazelle either. Okay, he is with the men of Israel. He is walking with an entourage of soldiers. There is no way he's... <laughs> bounding around like a gazelle. But what's happened is the anticipation in her heart makes it look like that's what he's doing. And it's a great lesson to all of us that when you add anticipation to your everyday events, it takes everyday events and turns them into memories. And it's one of the great relationship principles that you and I need to grab hold of because every day could be a great memory with the people you care about if you let it be. And Solomon, he decides to keep this game going. Okay, he, he actually uh, responds with a romantic game. So rather than going to the door, he does something different. We, we read here, he's standing behind our wall, he's looking through the windows, he's peering through the lattice. You know, back in those days, they didn't have glass, so all of their windows were lattice work. So instead of going to the front door and saying, hey, I'm home, what's for dinner? He went to the window. And he said, hey, honey, I'm over here. And the implications, when she came to look for him, he moved. And he went, no, 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 I'm over here. Ha! No, 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 keep looking. I'm over here. And he, and he plays this romantic game with his wife. 
because he wants her to know, I will do things with you that I would never do with anybody else and that I hope my friends never find out about. <laughs> because he wants her to know, I'm excited to be with you. And for those of us in the room who are married, guys, it's a big challenge for us. Like if the king of Israel can get over himself and play a romantic game with his wife, we can get over ourselves and play romantic games with our wives to tell them, you have a place in my life nobody else gets. And so what was this big event that they were anticipating? Well, it simply is, um, Solomon says, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come away with me. They were going to walk around her parents' farm. That's it. It was a very simple date, but anticipation was what it was all about. It was about being together. So romance doesn't have to cost a lot. It's the fact that you want to be with that person. And um, one of the ways that we build um, anticipation into our marriage now for 35 years is we have romantic rituals. You know, they're those simple things you do day in and day out to keep the atmosphere romantic and healthy. Um, for example, when you pass the car keys, say, I love you. When you hang up the phone, say, I love you. You know, sending a text in the middle of the day, um, I love you. Um, if you spend time with Bill and I over a meal, you'll see that we always say grace, and then we kiss each other. And we've not missed the kiss in our 35 years, uh, well, actually, since we've been engaged is when we started that tradition. And it's so much a part of the fabric of our family that if we're at, like, a big banquet, public setting, and our kids think we're distracted, they'll, like, flag us down, the kiss. And um, Zachary was dating Kaylee, and we hadn't met Kaylee yet. And so we were having uh, dinner with them um, in Louisville. And um, I said to Zach, hey, Zach, do you want to bless the food? And he's like, sure. And so he said um, the blessing. And then uh, Bill and I turned and kissed each other. And Kaylee's like, oh, you're right, Zach. And I said, what's Zach right about? And uh, she said, he said that every time that you say grace, you kiss each other. And I said, no way. Every time. And Zach's like, just watch. And um, when Brock and Hannah got back from their honeymoon, um, they stopped in San Diego, and we had breakfast together. I'm like, um, Brock, honey, do you want to um, bless the food? He's like, sure, Mom. And so he blessed the food, and then he turned and he kissed Hannah. And Hannah, I, I smiled, and Hannah said, it's a feral tradition. Mm -hmm. One of our favorite romantic rituals, though, is of a Canadian family. And um, there was a mom and a dad, and they wanted to um, have a way to express love but without words. And so they would simply just hold hands and squeeze three times, meaning I love you. And so you might be, you know, sitting with them in church and see them squeeze hands, I love you. Or maybe uh, the family gathered for uh, dinner on Sunday, they'd squeeze everybody's hand, I love you. Or you might be walking with Nana Papa and they would squeeze your hand three times, I love you just a part of that family system. And the daughter said, yep, when my daddy was on hospice care, I was standing in the doorway, and my sweet mom was sitting next to my dad, and he hadn't been able to talk for two weeks. And she was just sitting there by his hospital bed, and with my dad's last breath, he reached across those hospital sheets and grabbed the hand of the woman he had loved for a lifetime and simply squeezed three times, I love you, then entered heaven. If you are sitting with somebody you love, reach out right now and just squeeze their hand three times. I love you. <clears throat> Pass a legacy of love from generation to generation. The third key to successful relationships is to remove obstacles. And because we are imperfect people, every relationship on earth has obstacles that try to interrupt the connection that you have with other people, and try to eat away at the relationship. And if you are diligent to remove the obstacles when you see them, relationships tend to flourish. And the way we see it play out with this couple in Song of Songs chapter 2 is they're on this walk around the family farm. And in verse 15, she says to him, catch the foxes for us, the foxes that ruin the vineyards when our vineyards are in blossom. Now, as they're walking around the farm, she notices that there is a grapevine that should be flourishing. The leaves should be green. It, it should be looking really healthy. But instead, the leaves are turning brown and they're wilting. 
And the reason why that would happen back in their day is there were these little animals that they called little foxes. You, you and I would refer to them more as gophers or moles. They were burrowing animals that would go down into the ground, and they would eat away at the roots of these grapevines. And the reason why you knew they were in operation is the grapevine that should be healthy was turning brown and wilting. And so she uses it as a word picture to say, Solomon, would you be diligent in our relationship that when you see obstacles to get them out of the way so our love can flourish? And we would like to take a few moments and just share with you what we have seen are the most common obstacles in relationships. And without a doubt, the most common one we see are managing the differences between men and women. And that's the primary reason we were here this weekend. And for those of you who were not at the conference, we'd like to give you just a quick overview of um, how we understand gender differences to play out in significant relationships. Like the best way we know to describe the differences between men and women is that men are like waffles. And women are like spaghetti. So if we start with the men, if you diagram the way a typical man processes information in life, it looks like the top of a waffle. There's a bunch of boxes, and all those boxes are separated from one another by walls. And the way we as men operate is the first issue in life goes in the first box, second issue goes in the second box, third issue goes in the third box, and so on. And we as men, we spend time in one box at a time, in one box only. So when a man is at work, he is at work. When a man is out in the yard shoveling snow, he is in the yard shoveling snow. When a man is out hunting, he is out hunting. When a man is watching TV, hello. He's watching TV. We do one thing at a time and one thing only. Now, as men mature, we do jump boxes faster than we used to. So it, you know, we kind of imitate multitasking, but in reality, we've just learned to jump from one box to another faster than we used to be able to do. And because of this single focus that us men bring to life, we're problem solvers by nature. We like to go into a box, figure out the problem, assign a solution, and then we move on. And if we get to a box and see what the problem is and we don't know what the solution is, <laughs> we just move on. <laughs> because we cannot possibly think of a reason to spend time on a problem that we don't have an answer for. And for part of your life, folks, this single focus that us men bring is really valuable. I mean, the workplace, the family, the church, the community all need that single focus that us men bring to life. But it creates some pretty significant tension in some of your relationships because, because you ladies just don't process like a waffle. Right. Um, if you look at the way God wired our brains, it looks more like, it's called integration, but it looks more like one noodle laying on a plate of spaghetti. If you follow that noodle around that plate, it looks like it touches pretty much every other noodle on the plate. And that's the way we women process life, is we travel through life making emotional connections to the people and things that matter most to us. And so by nature, we're awesome at multitasking. I mean, we can be on the phone with our friend, and her life's all falling apart, and we're watching Oprah, and... Um, there's Dr. Phil, and he's saying, how's that working for you? So we're like, how's that working for you, honey? Yeah, you should come to church with me. Yeah, Lance and Cindy, they're so nice. You should meet our pastor. Yeah, he's funny. He can, like, do service Ganga style, right? Yeah, Christian <laughs> style. And, um, yeah, he, um, and, you know, we're writing our Christmas card list and our grocery list and our to-do list for our husband and our six kids as we're telling the kids in sign language to quit fighting. Can't you see I'm on the phone? We got a load in the washer, a load in the dryer. We're cooking dinner, and we can open and shut the oven door with our foot. Right, Woo. girls? Woo. Awesome. Yeah, that whole multitasking. Multitasking uh, is a gift to the family, to the church, to the community. But sometimes that multitasking is a little frustrating. Right, like, ladies, we admire this about you, but sometimes you confuse us with conversations that sound like, you know, how's your truck running? You know, well, I thought about your truck today because I drove by a favorite truck store because I was on my way to go buy a new outfit because I found this outfit that I knew was going to look really good on me because it was my color. Because last year I learned all about what colors look good on you and what colors don't look good on you, and I figured out I was kind of a spring palette color. And so I found this outfit that I knew was going to look really good on me, and that's always really good because when I know I look good, my confidence level is up. And if my confidence level is up, I think clear, and if I think clear, I make better decisions. And, well, that makes me easier to live with. And so I was excited about getting this outfit because I just knew I was going to look really good in it. And, you know, it reminded me of the color that Mrs. Obama down in the United States was wearing during the inauguration. Do you remember that? She went from inaugural ball to inaugural ball to inaugural ball. She changed in between each of them, and the second one was kind of a yellowish color. And um, I thought that's, you know, funny. Anyway, you don't really care about all that, though, do you? But you like sports, right? So you remember the Winter Olympics? You remember the German team? They had those really good-looking black outfits with a yellow stripe on it? Well, it was that yellow color right there, so I would have looked really good in one of those German outfits. And 
I thought it was really sad at the end of the Olympics. There were those three ladies racing around the ice, and like they were doing really good, but then that one fell down at the end, and she just slid across the finish line. And I thought that was so sad, and it reminded me a lot of our friends have been falling down in their life. And so, <laughs> do you think we could just stop and pray for our friends right now? <laughs> now, when you do that, ladies, we as men are frantically jumping boxes, <laughs> trying to figure out where this conversation is going. And while you think we're praying for the friends, what we're really thinking is, what what about about my my truck? (laughs) And and another implication you ladies need to keep in mind is that um, some of the boxes in every man's waffle actually look like this right here. There are no thoughts. There are no words. And we as men, we park in these blank boxes. I'm sure you've seen it before. And you must have some kind of radar, because every time we get in these blank boxes, you ask the dreaded question. So, hey, what you thinking? Which is really hard, because we tried telling you the truth. We said nothing. And your response is, you can't be thinking nothing, you have to be thinking something, so what is it? And because of these differences, ladies and gentlemen, we speak different emotional languages, and so taking time to listen to one another with curiosity is one of the great challenges of life. And just to remind you of the importance of listening to each other because we speak different emotional languages, check out this little video right here. That one right there. Impressive, isn't it? I have no idea what to do, guys, so either fix it or tell me to move on. Okay, so the guys in the sound booth are right there. <laughs> okay, guys, we're going to move on. We're good. Okay, so other obstacles that we face. Um, so oftentimes, you know, God is really good. In Genesis 1, 27, he says he, he created them male and female. He created them. So God is like the author of relationships. So nothing that happens in your world is outside of his ability to do something about. But oftentimes when we hit things like, you know, missing skills or stress or personality differences or dysfunctions or out-of-sync living, um, we just don't know what to do. And sometimes those surprises, those obstacles, come from areas that we didn't expect them. Um, For example, (laughs) um, one of our boys was a little bit hard to raise. Can you tell from the picture on this young man's face right here that he was a little bit of a challenge to raise? Yeah. Yeah, strong-willed. I like to call him spirited. And Mm -hmm. um, so Zachary, we were doing the whole learner-leader thing with Zachary, and he was coming right along until he was about eight. Then all of a sudden, he started spiraling down. Bad attitude, bad grades. It's like negative around our house. And so he had this underlying um, anger because he had this medical issue he couldn't control. Um, but he wasn't very verbal. And so how he handled his anger was just to beat up who's ever nearest. And one day, I walk into the living room, and Zach's beating up his brothers again. And so I say to Zachary, Zachary, honey, you go upstairs. Mama, come talk to you. Well, he runs up the stairs. He knocks all the pictures off the wall. He takes a baseball. He puts it through the door, hole in the door as I walk in. And I am thinking in my mind, (sighs) so I say to Zachary, Zachary, honey, this is inappropriate. You cannot do this. You've got to learn to use your words. Because I'm thinking in my mind, no woman in her right mind is ever going to marry you. Use your words. You're going to live with me forever. Uh, So Zach puts his hands on his little hips. He's like, you want words? Well, I hate myself, and I hate my life. And if God made me, I hate him too. And I said, just admit it. And I ran downstairs. I threw myself across the bed and prayed a frantic mommy prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a pastor's wife. I'm a director of women's ministry. I, like, write all these Christian books, and I'm raising this little wild man of an atheist upstairs. Could you some help here? (laughs) Oh, Lord, I know that every child is a treasure to you. Your word says in Psalms 139 that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and train up a child in the way he should go. It means 
They have a unique bent. And so I know that he is a treasure, a unique treasure. But I cannot see that treasure. And Zach's obviously not seeing that treasure. So help me help Zach see the treasure. When I said the word treasure, I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe that would work. So I drew up this treasure map. I called Bill. I'm like, hey, what do you think of this plan? And he's like, go with it. And so I walk upstairs with this treasure map. It didn't look this good that day. Taped some quarters to the treasure chest at the bottom. And I said, like, Zach, you are a treasure to the world, I said by faith. I'm like, Zach, every day I'm going to ask you two things. What's one thing you did well? What's one thing positive about your day? And we're going to write it down on this treasure map. And at the end of six weeks, mom and dad are going to give you some money to buy some resources to live out your treasure. You know, God is going to show us what your treasure is. Zach, what do you think? This is stupid. Zach. I hate this. Zach, what's one thing positive about your day? Nothing. Like, Zach, I can think of something positive. You're alive, meaning I haven't killed you yet, kid. <laughs> and so the first day was like, Zach is alive. It's on the treasure map. But then pretty soon this miracle started happening. He started bringing the treasure map to Bill and I, writing down all the positive things about himself and his day. At the end of that six weeks, we found out some things about Zach. We found out he was great at sports. We knew that. We found out that he loved music, though. Music was like a calming balm to his little ADD soul. And we found out that he loved people. Yeah, kind of threw us off track because he beat everybody up. <laughs> but from that point on, we figured out relationship is the key that's going to unlock Zach's future. And so from that point on, two tickets to whatever the church or community group was doing. So we had a friend to make good choices with. Well, fast forward, about 10 years ago, we're riding in an elevator down in Dallas, Texas. It is Zach's senior year in high school, and his co-ed cheer team has just won nationals, and ESPN is going to film them. So we're getting on the elevator to go to the filming. A little boy, about seven, gets on with his sweet single mom. The little boy is just out of control. He's like bumping into all the people. He is pushing all the buttons, and his sweet single mom is just exhausted by the child. I recognize the look. And um, pretty soon she has to deal with him, though. So she says, Zachary. And I'm like, oh, you're a Zachary. I have a Zach. He's just like you. He's like ADD, ADAD. You know, he's like hyper. Um, And you know what? He has this club, and only little boys like you can be in it. It's called Hyper for God. Because he found out you can use hyper for good and not just evil. And... um, (laughs) He used to be like D's and F's and stuff in his grades when he was your age, but then you used that hyper for good, and now he has straight A's, and um, he used to be like fifth string on the football team, but he used that hyper for good, and now the last three years he's been starting varsity, and you know, his co-ed cheer team just won nationals in the University of Louisville. They're the number one cheer team in the nation. They just offered Zach a scholarship to come be the captain of their team. Would you like to meet my Zachary? A new kid, and the mom just pushed the kid aside and said, I don't know about him, but I want to meet your Zachary. (laughs) I want to see a miracle. Mm -hmm. And that's just it. God is in the business of doing miracles. Picture of our son, Zachary, graduating with his master's degree from the University of Louisville. Um, And he was hired the day he graduated to be their strength performance coach. And um, he now, um, about three years ago, got down on one knee and asked beautiful Kaylee, Kaylee, I believe that God has crossed our paths. Will I love you. Will you marry me? And the girl said yes. <laughs> and uh, they are now expecting their first child in the fall. And they work with Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, on that campus together as a couple, passing that legacy of love from generation to generation. If you were to ask us, Pam and Bill, did you ever think this would be your legacy? We would be like, we can't believe it. We feel like our life's a miracle. We're the least likely people to be teaching on marriage and family. If you look at the statistics, firstborn daughter, alcoholic dad, severe rage issues, a lot of domestic violence in the home that I grew up in. But someone just like you saw the chaos of our family and invited my mom and us kids to church. And there I saw what love looked like. And I wanted to know the author of love, Jesus. And I grew up in a home uh, where, where the dominant personality in my home was my mom. And she has struggled with a mental illness as long as I can remember. And her fear caused her to isolate our family. And so when I was growing up, 
we weren't allowed to be in groups of people. And so it wasn't likely that I was going to hear the gospel because I wasn't allowed to be in groups of people like you because you're all very scary individuals. But in high school, I went to go see an evangelistic film called The Exorcist. <laughs> and that film got me reading the Bible, and 1 John 4, 4 opened up my heart. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And I met Jesus at 16 years old because I didn't want to be afraid. I didn't realize he was bringing in a whole new purpose and a whole new life, and he was going to set me free from a legacy of broken families and turn our life into a life that shows what God can do if you give him a chance to work a miracle. And it was really at um, Zachary's wedding that the full circle of God's redemptive power like showed up in the parking lot of Walmart. We were on our way to the wedding to pick up something. It was just my mom and me in the car together. I came to Christ at 8. My mom was 28. And together we grew in our relationship with Jesus. And um, we were driving in the parking lot. We listened to Christian music. And on comes Chris Tomlin's Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. I've I've been been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. And my mom and I just sat and sobbed and hugged in the Walmart parking lot over God's amazing grace. And to hear our sweet little Callan, we walk in the house and she says, Nana, Papa, for my birthday party, um, the praise team's going to come to my house, and we're going to sing praises to Jesus, me and my friends. And so can you sing with me? Ho-wee, ho-wee, ho-wee. Nana, Papa, my favorite song, Toss the Cob, she sings this song. It's like, breaking the chains, breaking the chains, breaking the chains. And I'm like, that is right, baby girl. This family lets God break the chains of sin and dysfunction. Uh-huh. He has set us free. That's right. And that's what we want for you. So would you stand with us, please? And as we close out, first of all, I'd like the prayer team to come forward and just be ready and available. And um, and I have a little different challenge for you this morning. Like some of you in the room, you know somebody who needs a miracle. Like it's somebody you care about. It's somebody that's important in your life. And and you just know apart from God doing a miracle, nothing else is going to break through. And we would like you to represent those people this morning. So if there's somebody you know that needs God to just touch their life, and needs to, would you just come forward and join us? Because I want you to represent those people so that we can lift them up in prayer. And I believe that if we're courageous enough to represent others in their need, that God will find us and meet our needs also. And so don't be shy. Don't be bashful. If you know somebody in your life that they, they're a tough story. They've been holding out on God. They've been living with a hard heart. They've been resistant to what God wants them to do in their life. I want you to just come forward. Just keep squeezing. We're family here. Just keep, keep coming. And maybe it's you. Yes. Maybe you are the one that, you know, I haven't done things God's way, and I, I need a fresh start. Lord, I want my relationship. When we get our vertical relationship with God working, the horizontal relationships work a lot better. And so, again, if you know somebody, just come and represent them and, And I'd like you, on behalf of that person, just to raise your hand up. And that's your symbolic gesture. You're holding this person up before God. And and now let's join in prayer. Father, I know you see these people and you see these hands. And every one of these hands represents a real person. This is not a prospect. This is not a name on a card. This is a person we carry on our heart. And Lord, we are begging this morning for you to reach out to that person. For the people represented by these hands that don't know you, I pray you'd introduce yourself to them. Track them down, break (coughs) through the obstacles, break through any resistance, and open their heart to you. And Lord, if these hands represent somebody that does know you, that is either walking away from you or just been resistant to what you want done in their life, would you just soften their hearts, again, chase them down with your love and overwhelm them with your support in their life so they can't resist you any longer? And whatever reason they have for holding out on you, Lord, would you shatter that reason? And would you break through the the things that are holding them back and just lovingly and firmly bring them to yourself? And Lord, if there's woundedness in their life that's holding them back, would you just heal the wound? Would you reach in with your grace and and just forgive them for the things that they have done and, and 
and just remove the pain that's holding them back from living the life they're capable of living. And so, Lord, we lift these people up to your grace, and we pray that you would do through them what's beyond them and just draw them into a loving relationship with you so they can live in fullness in this life here on earth. And then, Lord, we know that there's some people in this room that may not know you personally. And if that's them, Lord, would you introduce yourself this morning? And if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, just right where you're standing, say, Lord, it's my turn. I need to know you as my Savior. And Lord, I have, I have fallen short of who you created me to be. I have said the wrong things and done the wrong things and thought the wrong things. And I've honestly believed I could live without you. And Lord, that ends today because I know you died on the cross for my sins. And you rose from the dead, so you're alive today, so let's get started. Come into my life. Forgive me for all I've done wrong. Give me eternal life as a free gift. And begin today making me the person that you want me to be. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.